Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Lesson 1. We're going to start an unusual study, unusual because I'm mainly copying somebody else's stuff, which isn't my normal thing. Uh, so I'm not as good as whoever I'm copying it from. And of course, I'm not going to be as good as Dr. David Jeremiah. If, if none of you have gotten on to him, you need to know him because he's one of the premier, in my opinion, preachers, Bible teachers in well, in English, I don't know, there are other languages I know, but in English, he's one of the best, uh, outstanding uh, man, uh, been serving a single church in California uh, for a very long time, has a great reputation, and uh, his church has a great standing, and the stuff that he teaches is uh, such solid stuff, and so, so in many ways, I'm, I'm, t- I'm putting my own spin to it, of course, which, which I'm going to do. But I'm giving you a lot of his research. I want to make sure and give, give him the credit for, for that. I know he would give God the glory uh, for all of it, and that's certainly, certainly what we need to do. But we're going to embark on a kind of unusual study, not just in the sense that I'm using somebody else's stuff, but also because of the topic and the, the genre of uh, things like globalism, socialism, communism, not typical things you hear from a pulpit, or at least for a very long time in my lifetime. I know I haven't heard things like that. We haven't dealt with these kind of things the way we are today. Uh, federal uh, nationalization, internationalization of monetary systems, these kind of things are coming. Uh, unless, you know, a tide could turn, there could be a major change, a major, it would take a tectonic shift in, in politics, though, to change it, uh, global, global politics. Uh, as it stands right now, uh, there's just very few things um, that stand in the way of it. Interestingly enough, there's just few, very few countries who are still strongly natural, nationalistic and strongly border. One of them is Russia, by the way. Uh, even though we're having huge problems globally with Russia, and Putin, of course, is this huge dictator doing the stuff that he does. Um, but part, part of the problem with Russia and the problem with Putin is a problem that you're not going to have with them, in the sense that they're not, he's not cowing under to the globalist movement. He's not. Why they don't, part of the reason why they don't like him. Now, I'm not saying what he's doing in any way to approve anything he's doing in Ukraine or any of that. Of course, he's, 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 a big, he's a gigantic rear end, and he's causing tremendous problems and killed a bunch of people, and that's always a bad thing, and we're always going to say it's a bad thing and never say anything other than that. But he's also very nationalistic, for, for, good, or for, for good or bad, but because the, ma- the major movement of the world is globalism, everybody hate, is hating on him, part, partly. Partly for that reason. So, so let's let's begin. I'm not going to refer you to any. We're going to go to several places. We're going to. You can go ahead and turn to Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11 pretty quick, and then we're going to be going down from there to uh, a place over in uh, Daniel. Uh, so you can mark Genesis and you can mark Daniel for yourself. And we're going to be making our way through that and looking at different things and considering. Uh, again, what our whole purpose is not that we come up with a better understanding of Marxism, globalism, all this kind of stuff, but how does it apply? Where do we, what do we do with this? Does God have an answer? Does God have something to say about what, who am I supposed to be? Uh, since things are changing and since what I know of Christianity and how I operate Christianity has been in a Christian culture, more or less, here in the West, and since that has effectively ceased, what, what, do, I, what do I do now? Where do we, as, as Dr. Jeremiah's title is, where do we go from here? And so I, I was so stirred when I heard his uh, stuff and read his stuff, I was just like, I've got to preach this stuff. So 
So again, I want to give him total credit for the information, even the information I throw in there. We'll just give it all to him, and anything I misspeak and don't say, he's not responsible for. So, <laughs> okay. Dr. David Meyer is teaching weird stuff. No, Pastor Bill's teaching weird stuff. Dr. David Meyer, David Jeremiah is doing great, so leave him alone. So let's pray and ask God's blessings over our time. We've already asked his blessings over our food, and now let's ask spiritual blessings over spiritual food. God, we thank you for uh, never leaving us in the dark. We thank you, God, that uh, through your word we have all the answers that we're going to need to be able to uh, uh, live a life of righteousness, um, to be fully equipped for every good deed, Lord, fully equipped in every way. Lord, we thank you for that. We know that your word is going to equip us to be able to deal and understand uh, our world today, to be able to be the people that we're supposed to be, not the people we want to be, not the country that we wanted it to be, but to deal with who we are today and uh, who we should be going forward. Thank you, God, that you're going to equip us that way. We pray your blessings over it and your blessings over our eyes and ears as we learn. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The country of Venezuela was once a great country. Uh, Forty years ago, it was the greatest country in all of South America, economically speaking. Yes? Make sure everybody's got notes. Some over there. Back and front, yep. Valerie, Charlotte. Way over there. Got some more coming? So, so before the service started, Chuck asked me, do you want me to print notes? I said, no, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to want anything. That's what I said. So. so I'm going to blame it on Chuck for not just going around me and doing what I said not to do. There you go. All right, we're ready to go. Country of Venezuela was once a great country, greatest uh, at the time, talking about 80s, mid-80s, in all of South America by per capita income, greater per capita income than China, per capita than Japan. Japan, remember, tanked in the late 80s, hasn't recovered. Um, rivaling per capita income of the United States of America, Venezuela. Did you know that? Uh, one, of, one of the leading OPEC nations because of their oil reserves uh, still, still has tremendous oil reserves, although a very uh, desperately poor country now for reasons I'm going to present to you. Um, oil crunch happened in the 1980s. Again, oil prices dropped in the 1990s and took a huge dive in 1998. And then the country made a fateful decision. And that fateful decision was that they uh, elected a guy by the name of Hugo Chavez as president. And in Spanish, muy malo. It was bad. And uh, it got super worse, uh, if, that's, if that's even a phrase. Once in power, he implemented socialism pattern after Soviet Union, uh, Cuba, these, some of these things a lot of you are familiar with. China, he rewrote the Venezuelan constitution, guaranteeing the citizens the rights of government. In other words, the government owes you these certain rights. See if you recognize these. Free health care. Free college tuition. Social justice, paid for by the government, many other things. The Supreme Court uh, stood against him, 
And so he stacked the court with 12 of his own justices and redid the whole thing. He, uh, as soon as he came back in power, was, quote, re-elected in 2006. Uh, socialism totally engulfed the country after that. He nationalized the media, nationalized removing every single voice of dissent. Uh, he authorized the government agencies to seize privately owned properties, which they did, uh, so that the, the wealth of Venezuelan citizens all became under the name, and he did this all under the name of fairness and equality, because he says, I'm going to redistribute it to everybody. Of course, he did not do that, because you can't hold him accountable, because that's the way he had it set up. Um, he took control of the nation's oil industry, which was immense, expelled foreign investors, nationalized farms, banks, uh, grocery stores, businesses, eliminated term limits of elected officials. Why? Because, because that's what they do. Uh, so he could remain in power for the rest of his life, which turned out to be until 2013. And even though he could conquer everybody, he couldn't conquer himself, and he died of, died of cancer. Uh, but set up a rule and set himself up to rule in the style of a Castro or a Stalin. Any of this sound familiar to you? I'm not talking about Venezuela. I'm talking about our country. It should, because the same ideas are being fostered and promoted and believed and accepted in our culture, especially by the younger, younger ones among us. Well, I'm glad we have some young ones here, because they're going to turn the world upside down. Although the ones I'm looking at already know probably a lot of the stuff that I'm going to say today, because I know their parents. So, so he, his successor continued in implementation of the socialism, which gave way, of course, to totalitarianism, which it always does. So, so socialism and totalitarianism are equal in the sense that they go together. You don't find one without the other. It starts with socialism always turns into totalitarianism, 100% of the time. Today, Venezuela is spiraling into anarchy. Inflation is over 1 million percent. You think 12 or whatever we're at right now is bad? Try a million. From 2015 to 2019, the money of the Bolivar of Venezuela inflated 54 million percent. Yikes. This was the greatest country in South America in the middle 80s. What happened? Still a very wealthy country, by the way. They still have all these oil reserves. They still have all these natural resources. What happened to them? Well, socialism happened to them. Why should this matter to us? Like I said, because these socialist policies are invading our United States and are infiltrating our thinking and practices of, of our leaders. Uh, socialism has failed 100% of the time. It will never succeed because it's based on a false narrative. And here's the false narrative. If we all come together, we'll be better. No. History has proven that. Biblical history, we're going to see some of that tonight, which is important for us to understand. You understand what was happening and why God did what he did and what happens when God doesn't stop us coming together. Uh, there's huge issues with that. So you have four different names or four basic names for this whole issue of socialism. Of course, socialism, communism, Marxism, and cultural Marxism or cultural socialism, which you're hearing a lot of that today. As if it's cultural, it's fine. It's not. <laughs> It's definitely not. It always ends bad. The scary thing is what I'm about to tell you. The poll in 2020 showed that 40% of Americans of all ages had a favorable view of socialism. It's almost half. 2019, a similar poll of those, or what's the ages between 18 and 24? Is that Gen Z or is that, is that Gen Z? Or is that, is that millennials? Whatever that age is, between 18 and 24, 
60% of them were pos- had a positive view of socialism. Why? Because they just don't know. They've not been told. And they're not being told. I was raised where, you know, we were taught about socialism. We're, talk about, we're going to talk about the stuff I'm talking about tonight, the stuff I learned as a kid. I don't hear that anymore. Why? Because there is an agenda. I'm not a, I, I am, they say, you're a conspiracy theorist, Pastor Bill. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. That means I have a theory that's going to happen. I'm a conspiracy believer. I believe it's happening. I mean, it's happening. I'm not talking about socialism. I'm talking about there's a, there's a culture, of, there's a spiritual culture in which there is a, a biblical conspiracy taking place to take over the whole world and to end it all and to burn it all down. It's coming. It's coming. It's, it's easily read in the scriptures, and I think we're seeing the marks of it happen in our physical world today. So when Jesus was describing how the earth would be in those last days, he said, uh, among other things, he said this. And as this is Matthew chapter 25, uh, chapter 24 actually, you got the notes so you'll know, right? But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Huh. What does that mean? What were those days like? Jesus gives us some descriptive here. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, everything is going on normally. Marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, Noah has been men of the ark built the ark for like more than 200 years. So he's building this gigantic ark on dry land, preaching that there's going to flood come. So understand for 200 years, they've been hearing the same message. They're not listening. They're just going back to doing the things that they're doing every day. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not, and they did, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will it be, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What was that like? What were those days like? Well, consider, consider this, excuse me. I told people I shouldn't eat before I preached because I burped through the whole service. <laughs> Genesis 6, 5 through 7. So this is what's happening before the flood. This is the cause of the flood. And I'm going to make a postulate, a theory here, and I'm going to try to prove uh, a thesis, I should say, and try to prove that thesis a little bit later on. I think I can prove it. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. So just for a, for a sense of where we are in history, it's only been 1,600 years or a little less than 1,600 years since Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. It's not very long. Notice the descriptive. Wickedness of man was great on the earth that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. How does it get that bad that fast? If you read the, New, read the New Testament, read the Old Testament, read the book of Genesis, you find out people were living 800, 900 years. They had no television, nothing else to do. What were they doing? Having a bunch of kids, like a bunch of them. Far more healthy than we are. We're capable of having, what, three or four kids maybe, and then, you know, maybe we don't want them. Maybe we can't have them. Many can't. Back then, not that problem. didn't have that problem. Stacks of kids. And then those kids were living six, seven hundred, eight hundred years and having stacks of kids. Well, if you just if just math, if you believe the Bible, and I do, just math would tell you we're not looking at millions of people on the globe, we're looking at billions of people. But billions of people in a sixteen hundred year time period had gotten to that. How'd they get to that? Here's here's my thesis. Because when we come together, Apart from God, apart from the intervention of His Holy Spirit, it's never good. 
we become greater than the sum of our evil parts, and we destroy this place. It, there's, no, there's not been an exception to this. Socialism is an example of the attempt to do that and how rapidly things come apart uh, when you do. So again, they came together. Uh, that's my thesis. They, were, they, ha they had only, one, as far as we know, only one language. They only had one culture. They, had a, they were all related, for crying out loud. Everybody traced their, their lineage back to Adam. By the way, this is only 1,600 years since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. Adam lived 950 of those 1,600 years. you imagine that? So your daddy knew your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather personally could. That's wild, isn't it? That's wild, because... Adam lived 950, your daddy lived 900, here you are, 1,600 years later. How did things go so fast? Because they were together. Unfortunately, that's a bad thing for us. And we love that. What's wrong with being together? If we come, you hear the whole chant, if we come together, everything will be great. No, it won't. Not if it's not under the leadership of God and the direction of his Holy Spirit. Man is no good by himself. And we're going to see an example of that a little bit later on in Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to have you, I've had you go there. We'll, we'll look at that in just a second. It was only evil continually, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And he did that uh, in spades. Uh, he did that. And so you see the example of that flood as something of how great, greatly God despised the situation. The people of Noah's day ignored the warnings, even those who preached to him them for 120 years. So, so we're, we're headed in the same direction. So the elimination of borders, the elimination of cultures, elimination of language, eliminations of these things that separate us that we think are bad, and in some ways they are, because they create things like racism, cultural, cultural uh, segregation, and other things. And so those things aren't good because ev everything that comes from us is evil. But when you put us all together, it's far, we're far worse. So anybody a teacher here? We're a teacher. I know I've got three sitting there together, some of you back there. So, so how many bad kids does it take in your classroom to make things really bad? Yeah, uno, solo uno. And if you leave them alone, but if you get two or three of bad kids together, what do you got? They will turn your whole school upside down. Why? Because they become greater than the sum of their parts. Because their voice is loud and their influence is great. When you get people together, their hearts aren't with God. You have massive problems very, very fast. Again, we're going to see that in just a second. But let me say a few things. Is socialism the end? Is this the end game? I don't know. Uh, I can tell you this, though, it is in many ways tailor-made for a situation, a regime like that of the Antichrist. Uh, it creates a global situation of stress and trouble, which demands a one-world government, which, of course, the Bible says the, the Antichrist is going to be leading that one-world government. So is it socialism? Uh, it's going to be something like that. All socialism needs is a pretext, an emergency to rise to power. Uh, we've seen a lot of those things lately. Uh, interesting, we had... we've. I have some interesting contacts here. Island Baptist Church is a weird church because we're a little bitty church. But yeah, we have fingers all over the place. And being a pastor of this church for 20 years has enabled me to know some very important people. Like, for instance, uh, we had one of our church members' son was Secret Service, uh, guarded President, President Bush and President Trump. I got to speak to him. I did his mama's funeral. 
got to speak to him personally about what his experiences were. And man, we'd love to hear his stories. Uh, we had a U.S. senator that hasn't been here in a long time, a U.S. senator from, from Oklahoma. And uh, he told me when I first came here in 2001 or two, he was up in arms about this stuff I had never, I hadn't, at that point, I had, of course, I didn't pay attention to a lot of things, but I had never heard of anything like global warming. He says, Bill, have you heard about global warming? He says, this stuff is wicked. It's evil. I don't know where you stay on global warming. But uh, he just said, I, you don't have to know anything, Bill, other than, other than those who are trying to promote it. He says, I can tell you where I am in, in the capital. It's horrible. Those who are promoting are bad people. He says, you need to know, I'm writing a book on it right now. This is 2001, 2002. Long, I mean, nobody even knew about this stuff at that time. Uh, today it's not called global warming anymore, it's mostly called climate change. Climate change is four times, not where I'm from, not here, but every, wherever you're from, four times a year, right? It gets cold, it gets warm, it gets cold, it gets warm. Here it does it every four times a day, it seems. <laughs> but again, I'm not saying that there isn't issues out there and that the globe, I and mean, you can look and see that we're, we're warming some, but is it all that they're making it out to be, or is it a pretext for global socialism? It works real well for that. Whether it is intentionally or not, like I said, you're going to call me a, 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 um, a, a theorist, well, do, do whatever you want to. I'm just saying they're using it. Things like pandemics, I don't know if you've heard of that before, that happens. Again, what is that? It can be used as a pretext for global socialism. Economic crises of all kinds were headed into a recession. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know when the last time you checked our economics, but we're 50, 60% of our stocks are below their 50-day or their 200-day moving average. That's a recession. And they continue to go down. We get more than 50%. You start headed, and you keep at that level long enough, you, you, go, from a, from, you go into a, a big recession. We're possibly headed into one of those where, of course, remember our last recession? There's so many people lost their jobs. Our, our property's devalued. Uh, just bad times. We're headed into one of those. Because why? Because you've got a government that's swinging us back and forth, just pushing us constantly. Do this, do that. Using opportunities, like I said, like global warming and pandemics and scared. It's interesting what, when, if we talk about sheep a lot, it's interesting what you can do with sheep when you scare them. They'll all run off a cliff together. They'll all run into deep water and drown themselves. They'll all run into the jaws of a wolf together. Get them scared. Shepherd knows that. He does. Watch it. Where have we been this past two years? Scared to death. That, that's a pretext. Whether it's being used or not, I'm, I'm suggesting that it is. We've been led to believe that dissolving our borders and dissolving our nationalism is the best thing for us. It's not true. It's not true. Here we have my thesis is that's what's taking place here in Genesis. That's why within 1,600 years, God's having to starve the whole globe, destroy every one of them, because getting together was not good for them. Here again in Genesis, well, actually, it's not going to be there. It's going to be in your Bible. I told you to go there, right? Genesis 11, because there's too much to read here. The first world leader was a guy by the name of Nimrod. And this is just some 500, 600 years after the flood. So we're born and created in Genesis chapter 1. 
We have uh, proliferation of our species because they don't have enough television to watch, so they have just a ton of kids. You imagine having 30, 40 kids, you've got to remember all their names, and then they all have 20 grandkids. What are you going to do Christmas? Leave. You go north, south, whatever direction, you get out of there. There's no way to keep up with all those Christmas presents. Of course, they didn't have Christmas then yet, but anyway. So uh, um, imagine that. So, so, and, then, and then the whole gene pool bottlenecks at the global flood. And you have Noah and his wife, their three boys, and their three wives. So in just 500 years now, the people are still living six, 500, 600 years and having kids that whole time. You've had, again, this massive impulse of population growth. And this guy by the name of Nimrod rises up and says, let's not be separated from each other. Hello. Let's come together. The whole earth used the same language and the same words, chapter 11, verse 1. It came about as they journeyed. We learned about Nimrod in the previous chapter, by the way. He's the leader of all this. We learned about him in other places, and I won't go to those verses, but you're just going to take my word for it. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Today it's Babylon. Today it's Iraq, land between the rivers. They said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Now, tell me what's wrong with this process, first of all. You see anything wrong here? What's wrong with burning bricks? Nothing. And they use brick for stone. Why? Because that's what's there. There's no stone there. There's, it's a delta, and you know you got a lot of clay, and so you, nothing wrong with that. They use tar for mortar. What's wrong with that? Nothing. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens. Here, the second, let us. Let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They have one culture, one language. Now watch what God does. Now, do you have a problem with this so far? Sounds like a family reunion to me. <laughs> By the way, this is 500 years after the flood. Guess how long Shem, the son of Noah, who was born before the flood, lived after the flood? 500 years. So if he wanted anybody in this group wanted to know what happened before the flood, Shem was still living. Noah lived 250 years after the flood. Imagine what the culture would be like, how different it would be if your great grand you were raised with your great great grandparents. How different would it be? Either bad or good. So it got bad when they started staying together. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. If you know history, what they were doing is they built what's called a ziggurat, a pyramid. And on top of that pyramid, they had a flat space, and they had the, the stars and the mapping of the stars and the planets mapped out, and they would take bones and crystals and cast them. Calling, it's called casting the horoscope. Because effectively they're saying, we don't need God to tell us our future, the stars will tell us our future. This was the whole issue of the horoscope and of casting the horoscope came from. We don't need God, we can do it without God. Oh, really? So... Watch, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men have built. He's not invited to be with them. They're doing their own thing. They're making, making a name for themselves. They're gathering together effectively against God. The Lord said, behold, they are one people. Is that a bad thing? Isn't that what we want? If we all get together, things are going to be good? You may think that way. God doesn't. They are all one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. Now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible to them. Come, let us go down, confuse their language, that they may not 
understand one another's speech. The Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, the name of that city is Babel, or became known as Babylon. Why would God do such a thing? So what's he afraid of? Well, first of all, God's not afraid of anything because you can't do anything to him. He's not afraid for himself. He's afraid for us. Because if he leaves us alone in this condition, we go rapidly back into the situation very quickly of the conditions prior to the flood in which he had to kill every last one of our ancestors, except with the exception of, of seven or eight. Eight, seven, I can't do the math. Yeah, eight. <laughs> and two of every animal, right? He had to wipe us all out. How could it be that bad? Because it was that bad. So God, notice, puts a stop to it by killing everybody to begin with, and then 500 years later has to put a stop to it again. Why? Because coming together isn't a good thing. Whether, whether, you, know, whether you believe me, whether I, you, you think it's the problem of our sin or whatever, that's really up to you. But can we agree with the fact that God didn't like it? It must be bad for us, and that God's interested in what's good for us, and that it's forcing his hand if we come together because it forces his hand to do things that we don't want him to do. Very dangerous. We're headed into a day... That's erasing, today we are, that's erasing the Genesis 11 event. We're headed into a day that looks like this. And the world marveled and followed the beast. This is this great world leader that's coming. Authority was given him over every tribe. It's together, right? It's bad. Tongue, nation, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose name has not have not been written in the book of the life of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Why? All coming together. So very rapidly, if you read the book of Revelation, you know that these events, and it from the very start of the Antichrist to the very end, when Jesus has to return and destroy everyone and everything, basically, who opposes him, it's only seven years. Because when you get us together, it's gasoline on the fire. We don't do better together, we do far, unless we're gathered under the name of Christ. Now, the church can gather as many as he wants. We're, we're globalists, aren't we? We believe in a global outreach and a global mission and a global, global gospel to reach people and bring them under the headship of the king. That's a totalitarian government that we're 100% in favor of. But anything other than Jesus, you do not want us together. Not many of us. Because if you get us together, or if you put up a system like so socialism that puts a very few in power of the, over control over the rest, we're in huge trouble and unfortunately that's where we're getting to today so we've gotten multiple lessons from the past hundred years of how free thinking free living people can be brought under such control and power of central figures lose their nation lose their freedoms uh, examples in the past 100 150 years russia the bolshevik revolution china korea cuba venezuela multiple african nations southeast asian countries all these under the same pretense to bring the people together, to help them, to get us all together, and then boom. What was supposed to help us, which was supposed to make us more rich and more equal, turns out to make us all equal, yeah, at the very bottom. Nothing to our names and all the power and all the wealth and everything in the hands of very few people. So what is socialism? Let's have a conversation, a one-sided one, about that. Uh, sounds so benign, doesn't it? Socialism sounds like a junior high sock hop. We're going to have a socialism. <laughs> sounds so sweet. It's far from that. It, it is, as it's, as it's, as in practice, it's a very evil system. Socialism believes that the world's means of production, infrastructure, like farms and factories, energies, 
energy, national resources, medical help, property banking, everything like that, should be under the control of, quote, the people. So we all own everything. Sounds like a good idea. So we all have the same share in the oil reserves in the state of Texas. We all have the same share in the properties. We all have the same share in the governments, in, in, the, in, the, in the companies, in all these things. I mean, that sounds like a such, such a sweet idea. The problem is, is the society as a whole, uh, owning all the raw materials and the system in, in produce, it sounds so nice, but in, in a free market system, those are owned by individuals. They're owned by individual companies who, who achieve and who do better and who try and who work hard, and those who don't work hard and don't do their best, they don't get that stuff. Uh, that's free market. Socialism, whether you try or not, you still get the same share. So I can sit on my couch and eat bonbons and smoke cigars and watch CNN, and you can work your tail off, and you and I get paid the same. Now, for my side of things, that's beautiful. Your side of the things, not a way to live, is it? That's socialism. But because see, here's what happens: if you get if everybody owns everything, then everybody owns nothing. Try to have a board meeting and decide where the next hospital is going to be when everybody owns all the hospitals. Everybody does. You can't have a board meeting. We're going to get every last person, the 230 million people together in the United States of America, and decide where our next oil well is going to be drilled. You can't do it. Or what you what we're going to plant on 2,000 acres up in Nebraska. So guess what happens? That decisions fall to the hands of very few people, and those very few people, turns out, don't answer to anybody. That's socialism. When it's owned by everybody, in practice, it's owned by nobody, and it gives way to this totalitarian type of government. Under socialism, the government becomes the sole authority and controller of all these things, supposedly serving the people. Now, as I said this morning, as long as those leaders are godly and have nothing but selfless interests, we're great. You get one bad person in there while the whole system is set up to allow these bad people who want control and who will um, uh, try to seek control and keep control ruthlessly. It's a system that allows, it gives way to the, that kind of thing. And then once they get themselves in power, just like Hugo Chavez, they set themselves in a position where they cannot be held accountable. And then your goose is cooked, for sure. Ask the people in Venezuela, they know. So to understand socialism, we need to understand its originator, here he is, only, a face only a mother could love, right? <laughs> Karl Marx. Anybody study Karl Marx? Kids, have you studied Karl Marx? Some of you have. He's a woolly booger, isn't he? Um, not, it looks have very little to do with who he orig originally actually was, but man, he, who he was is so instructive in understanding what socialism is. We understand who created socialism, you can understand why the system itself is so bad and so evil. You understand this guy was the creator, but when you know who he is, oh man, anything that this guy makes because of who he was, it's going to be terrible. Here's some things to know about Karl Marx. Karl Marx did not just hate God. He was a cheerleader for the devil. I mean, truly. Not just after God. He loved the devil and his ways. His own family thought he was demon-possessed. Imagine that. Your wife and kids think that. Pretty, 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 pretty uh, stark statement. His own biographer said he had the devil's view of the world and the devil's malignity. Sometimes he seemed to know, he said, that he was accomplishing the works of evil as he's writing the Communist Manifesto and these, these other documents, these 
several, several volume documents that he wrote. On one occasion, Carl's own son sent him a letter and addressed it to my dear devil. That's the guy that wrote socialism, Communist Manifesto. What's going to come out of that? It's not going to be good. Tell me who the creator is, and I'll tell you what he's created. Carl's partner, Frederick Ingalls, declared these words, 10,000 devils had Carl by the hair, he said. It sort of looks like it did in some ways. <laughs> Carl hated Christianity. Here's just some simple phrases about him. He was a tyrant. He was a racist. He was a radical who hated God and just wanted to see the world burn. And that's a different kind of evil. He has, show me a person who's interested in money, and I'll show you a person who's got a price. Show me a person who's interested in power, I'll show you a person that's got a price. Show me a person that just wants to see the world burn, there is no price for that person. There's, there's nothing you're going to do to make them stop. Because they just want it all, they want to see everybody suffer, they want to see everybody be as bad as they are, they want to see everybody as hated and, and as hate-filled as they are. That's Karl Marx. There's few of those, uh, more of those, I guess, more, more than anything else, but, but didn't care about his own life. Didn't care about his family, didn't care about his wife, didn't care about anybody, didn't really care for himself at all. Just wanted to see it all, all burn. And so it's from that heart and manifested all these things. Uh, he writes this poem in 1837 called The Pale Maiden. He, he composed it himself. Here's his words. Thus heaven, he says, I have forfeited. I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, he's, by the way, Jewish background, uh, both sides, both his wife, he, she was Jewish, and his side, he was Jewish. They both were descended from rabbis, both of them. Uh, Germany and Prussia, or what, we, what would have been called Prussia in his day. Uh, today, Western or Eastern Germany. Um, both from, from godly, if you will, or God-minded backgrounds. He writes this poem in 1837. Heaven I have forfeited, I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, has been chosen for hell. He knew he was no good. He knew it. He knew it did nothing to stop it. He was totally settled with that. 1849, one year after publishing the Communist Manifesto, uh, living in London because he was without country, Germany had basically completely kicked him out because he was just intolerable as a person. His home country, Germany, just said, you cannot be here. No country would accept him, at, allow him to be a citizen. England allowed him to live there, and he rented a, a flat there along with his family. Uh, after A year after uh, publishing his Communist Manifesto, which, of course, is socialism, everything is established and directed by that, he was evicted by his landlord because he was so filthy. The landlord just could not stand his presence anymore. He smoked too much. He drank too much. He never bathed. His body was covered with boils and sores and warts and stank. He just absolutely stank to high heaven. Just absolutely could not stand the guy anymore. His apartment was completely untended. Uh, everything was broken and spilled. Uh, cabinet doors broken, unusable. Appliances broken, whatever there was in the you know, mid-1800s. Nothing was in place. Nothing was picked up. Nothing was cleaned. Because that's who this guy was. Uh, never had a real job, borrowed money from everyone he would give him the time of day. His wife, Jenny, was miserable her whole married life. According to her own words, she contemplated suicide every day. Married to this guy. Like I said, what he looks like is irrelevant. What he was is very irrelevant. His, two of his, he had seven children. Two of his daughters committed suicide. One of them did it in a suicide pact with her husband. That's kind of life. They were just raised with this guy who was 
Like I said, you raised with a guy that wanted to see the world burn and you kind of have some bleak outlooks on life. March 14, 1883, Carl died in despair. Uh, just before his death, he wrote his partner Ingalls and he said, How pointless and empty is life, yet how desirable, he said. He was buried in the Highgate Cemetery, which was considered the cemetery in those days in London for Satanists and witch, witchcraft people. He's buried there. He's still buried there. His so-called answer, this guy, so-called answer to world's problems was founded by this hideous person. So, uh, you know, so it shouldn't surprise us that what's come from this is what it is. It's bad. It's never been anything other than good. And unfortunately, Karl Marx is ruling the world from the grave today. Largely. He has. His, his wish to see the world burn and, turn, and, and turned upside down, he's gotten his wish largely in the past 100, 150 years. Tremendous. And it's still not done. And we're headed into, I think, some of the, as far as the people in the West, we're headed to some of the worst days of it. So, so what is socialism? Well, the tenets of his ideology are, are there's more than four, but I'm going to give you four of them because they're the biggest ones. Number one, Marxism is anti-God. Not just atheists. I know you hear a lot of, well, the, you know, the communists, they're atheists. Well, they may be. But Marx was not an atheist in the strict sense. An atheist doesn't believe there is a God. Marx is fully convinced of the presence of God. He hated him. He despised him. He went on record multiple times. Marxism is anti-God. Karl saw Christianity as a source of oppression, which in the Roman Catholicism of the Europe he was raised in was very true. It was very true. Uh, it had all that he wanted for socialism. It was corrupt, it was despotic, it was evil, it was controlling of people. He, he thought that people needed to, it, they needed to give up their commitment to church in order to be committed to the state. So they're swapping, swapping religions. So instead of faith and following Jesus, sacrificing my life for him, faith and following, sacrificing my life for the state. That's socialism. It, again, not atheistic at its core, it's hatred of God at its core. The most famous saying of Marxists is, we will rule, we will rid the world of capitalists and the heaven of God. Wow. By the way, right in line with God, what God predicted the end times would be like. What is the final regime going to look like? Well, we have some tenets of it in the, in the book of Psalms. Here's Psalm 2 is the story of how it's going to end and who's going to bring the ultimate end to it, the Son of God. Why do the nations rage, it starts out. And the people plot a vain thing. What is that? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That word in the Hebrew is Messiah. So they take counsel against the Lord, the Father, and against his Son, the Messiah. Saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. It's a tenet of socialism. It's a tenet of Karl Marx. Let's cast it. Let's throw it off. Let's undo it. It's a vain thing because God owns everything. He's in charge. And when he comes to rule in his power, it's going to be a very bad day for those who are against him. Marxism is characterized, another tenet of, of Marxism ideology, it's characterized by totalitarianism. I have a hard time saying that word. The rule of the people very quickly generates into everything within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. Again, Everything within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. Our culture is very rapidly headed there. We can't speak against them. We can't. Everything's got to be controlled by the government. Everything needs to be federalized. 
no longer powers of the state, no longer powers of local government. Allow the local government to fail so it can be federalized. Why? Because that's the way you control things. Totalitarianism aspires to nothing less than defining and controlling reality. I tell you how to think. I tell you what to do. I tell you who to be. It's interesting, I'd only ever heard of communism, never been around it, ever. And we got to go, as uh, someone from our church here in 2004, we got to go to Cuba. And a uh, mission trip, and we got to talk to the people there. But it's interesting, I'd, I guess I had forgotten this, but uh, every single person there did what they did because the government told them to do it. You were a doctor because the government said that's what you're going to be. You were an orthodontist. You picked up trash because that's what the government said. No, no choice. No, no, no freedom to decide anything. Total control. Totalitarianism does that very thing. Aspires to nothing less than to define and control reality. It's interesting the descriptive that Daniel gives us over here in Daniel chapter 7. Let's go there. Of the final world government. Again, why are, why are we interested in this stuff? Only because, only as much as we can understand it from the scriptures. Because if all we're doing is sit around conjecturing, well then I don't see a lot of good in that. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel, first of all, in Daniel 2, we're going to see this next time. We're going to read it next time. King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of four nations that are going to arise, and they're typified by four different types of metal. The final nation has a phase one and a phase two. And then Daniel has a vision in Daniel chapter 7. The same four uh, arising kings or kingdoms, and the final one was going to be the final. And he describes it in such a way that's very interesting here. Like I said, totalitarianism aspires to nothing less than defining and controlling reality. Look at chapter 7, verse 23. Thus he said, this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom on the earth, which in the final one, by the way, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it, every last, every last inch of it. As for those ten horns, out of the ten kings will arise a kingdom... Uh, uh, out of the ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous ones, and subdue the three kings. And he will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the, high, uh, the Most High God, speaking of the Jews. And he will intend to make alterations in times and laws. It, it, isn't it interesting and maybe um, consternating to an atheist or a God-hater that we operate on seven days? that interesting just like the bible said we should so if i really hate god i'm going to try to change that among other many other things i mean all the laws and rules i'm going to try to change but i'm either going to try i'm going to try to change the calendar i'm going to try to change everything seems to say that's what's happening here intends to change, make alterations in times and laws to the very basis of culture he's going to try or this culture this this regime is going to try to change they will be given into his hand for three and a half years is what that time, time, and half a time refer to. But the court will sit and judgment will come and dominion will be taken away and this he will be annihilated and destroyed forever. So, so that's the end of totalitarianism. But nonetheless, notice what he says here about it. They aspire, just like totalitarianism does, Marxism does, to, to, to truly define and control every last thing. Exactly what it says. Last regime is going to be like. Interesting. Another tenet of Marxism, it thrives on division, 
classic Marxism lives and breathes off dividing us. You say, well, you just got through telling us that they're bringing us together. Yeah, they're bringing you together after they make you hate all everybody, kill everybody. It's the way they roll. Marxism classically thrives on division. Classic Marxism is one where division is promoted among the classes. You read Communist Manifesto, you'll see that. Uh, oppressors against the oppressed, bosses against workers, rich against the poor, landowners against those who don't. Have you noticed in our nation we're the most divided we've been probably in my whole lifetime? In my whole lifetime, over stuff I didn't know existed. I mean, I know there's such thing as racism, but boy, everybody's a racist now. I don't see myself as a racist at all, but I guess since everything is a racist, I must be a racist now. I don't know. Here's the problem with everything being a ra being racist. You know what it is? If everything is racist, nothing's racist. So the real issues aren't being dealt with. Is there real racism? Sure there is. There will always be racism. Everywhere you find sin, you'll find racism. You'll find, you'll find people against one person. You know, his eyes are closer together than the rest of us, so we don't like them. His skin is darker. His skin is lighter. He's taller. He's shorter. He's fatter. He's skinner, whatever. There's going to be hate like that. Of course there's going to be hate. The problem that it is is that... Uh, when, when everything is racist, nothing is racist anymore. And so they use this avalanche of unwarranted accusations to basically to flood everything. And so it's, but the whole point is, is to exploit division. Hugo Chavez went out of his way to ensure that poor people hated rich people in his country. That's the way he controlled them. That's the way he did it. He did it really, he did it really fast. Hats off to him. He, he crushed a very good country. Cultural Marxism in our country, they exploit and divide between, like I said, income levels, race issues, exploiting division. The biggest problem with, with everything is that once, once, it's, you know, once it's like that, then how do you stop it? How, how do we bring it back in? So now we're all, we all hate each other. I didn't even know that. But now I'm being told by the media that we all hate each other. So, okay, I guess we do. They exploit that. That's the way they roll. Another tenet of Marxism is, is that it's the most deadly system that has ever graced our planet. Far more people have died under Marxism than anything else that's ever happened in the history of humanity. Uh, there was a book that came out in 1999 called The Black Book of Communism, tabulated the Marxist death toll for the 20th century, revealed the most colossal case of political carnage in the history of mankind. Here's just round numbers. Latin America, 150,000 people killed. They say, oh, capitalism's killing people. I'm sure there's capitalists killing people. But they're not lining them up on a wall and machine gunning them. That's what they're doing in Marxism. They're not starving them. Uh, speaking of Ukraine, you know, uh, that's where Russia started with their, their huge, uh, or USSR, their huge uh, genocide was in Ukraine. And basically, he put them all under a socialist regime. Uh, um, what was the guy's name? I forgot. Uh, not Lenin, but the guy that followed him, huh? I can't hear you. Stalin, Stalin that guy. He was, by the way, a, a great child of Marx, because he, like Marx, didn't care about money, didn't care about power so much as he just wanted to see the world burn. And used the opportunity, he wanted, he wanted to control Ukraine, and so what did he do? He put them all under a socialist system, and then he starved them all to death. Cut them completely off. They, were all, they all depended upon the dole of the government. The government's going to take care of you. The government's going to provide for you. And then, poof, dead. Millions of them. Latin America, 150,000. Eastern Europe, a million died under socialism. Vietnam, a million. 
Africa, one point, up to this point, 1.7 million. Cambodia, 2 million. A lot of people, where's my buddy from Vietnam over here? We were commenting at, at lunch today how we fought in Vietnam, but, but a whole lot of our Agent Orange and bombing happened in Cambodia and Laos. In fact, the biggest, biggest portion of it happened over there because that's where Ho Chi Minh Trail was. We, we think of only Vietnam being communist. It was whole southeastern Asia. They were all under the regime. Cambodia, two million people killed under communism, socialism. North Korea, two million. USSR, 20 million killed mainly under Stalin. China, 65 million died for the cause of the people because he's going to make, they're going to make everything better. That's socialism. That's communism. It's never been good. It will never be good because it's based on a false narrative that if we come together, if we get things together in common, that we will all handle it correctly. We can't. We haven't. So if you took the, all the deaths, both civilian and, and military, in World War I, and all the deaths, both civilian and military, in World War II, and added them together and multiplied by two, you still would not get the number of deaths that have been under communism in the past century. That's how many people have died under it. It is a regime of death. Uh, nothing, nothing comes close to its butcher bill. So wherever you see communism, you see death. It's all from the creator, the guy that I showed you before, because that's what he wanted. He set up a system. Knowing that he was doing evil, he knew it, because he just wanted to see the world burn. So why are we learning all this? Because the trends, well, we already talked about that, leading our country today to some bad conclusions. Trend number one, the destruction of our monuments, the destruction of our history. It's a bad thing. Now, whether you agree with the monuments or not, it's interesting that these groups that are destroying our monuments are, of course, destroying the Civil War monuments. They're also destroying Abraham Lincoln. They're destroying all of it. So if it's any, anything from history, they just destroy it. Why? So it's not just a bunch of mad young people who just sow in their oats. No, it's classic Marxism. This is the way they do things. And whether the young people know what they're up to or not, I don't know. But those that are behind them do. Because like I said, you, you couldn't write it better than, than what they're doing. The pattern of Marxism is to erase the past, the books, the culture, the history, and have someone else not write new books so that we forget what we were, so that we don't know who we are. And then now that we don't know who we are, we can do, be told whatever we want, whatever they want, I should say. Classic Marxism, destruction of our history and monuments. Cancel culture. Everyone who does not kneel to the ultra-prevailing political agendas is canceled. Classic Marxism. Classic socialism. Again, it's, it's, the, it's the new day. It's where we are. So what do we do? Well, um, don't tell anybody, but I've, I've hired this barge, and it's headed over. We're going to pick up a lot of select fire AK-47s they're selling over here in, in Ukraine. We're going to bring them back and pass them out. Just so. <laughs> do you want one? I want one. <laughs> You're down with that? <laughs> No, I'm sorry, guys. We have a greater revolution that's more important. Uh, stopping socialism and promoting capitalism is not what the Scripture has called us to do. Now, I'm an American, and I'm for voting for that as much as you possibly can, and we should shout against it, we should protest it. But our ultimate call, ladies and gentlemen, bottom line is everybody's going to die anyway, whether capitalists or communists or socialists or whatever, we've been called to a higher level. 
and that's to reach people for Christ. And so as the world becomes global, take advantage of that. I'm going to show you, share with you some of those things, but let's, let's finish up these tendencies, these trends. So the cancel culture, the culture of Marxism is classic. Dismantling of the family. Woo. Boy, is this a big one. One of the things, again, going traveling to Cuba, one of the things I learned is that everyone there from third grade on is removed from their family. Every child. They spend all the school year away from their family. They get to come home for the summers, but really only to work in the banana orchards. So that's the only, the only time you have with your kid from the third grade until he graduates from high school is that summer period, and only when he's not working in the banana orchards. What kind of influence you're going to have over your kids? So who raises the kids of Cuba? The government of Cuba does. Because that's classic Marxism. Classic socialism. The fact is, ladies and gentlemen, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. They're not dummies. They know this. They know that a strong family unit, socialism is impossible as long as the family remains strong. So one of the tenets, one of the trends of socialism, market, just watch it carefully, you're certainly seeing it today, is the separation of children from their parents, the separation of the rights of parents over their children to make decisions for their children. We're seeing that already. All this craziness is going on in school boards and all this false information of, and fomenting rebellion even towards parents and other things. Uh, socialist knows that you can't control the world unless you control the family. You just can't do it unless you control the kids. Are we better or worse today in our families? In the United States. Far worse. Oh, man. I grew up in, I don't know how it was where you're from, but in East Texas, my parents could come up to the school and spank us in the principal's office. And every adult said, yeah, that'll teach him. Today, try doing that. Oh, boy. Those kids will be removed from their parents, won't they? We've come very far. We don't know what's wrong with the kids anymore, and I can tell you what's wrong with them. Damn. Yeah. People say, you know, beating your kids doesn't work. Well, it worked on me. It worked really good. <laughs> Got my attention really well. Really well. And, of course, there's, there, there's bad and good in all of it, but still, you sh we should expect there to be ongoing attempts to subjugate the home to the government. Again, federalization of everything. Federalization of the family. The government will raise your kids. The government will tell you how to spend your money. The government's going to handle your life. The government will handle your business, tell you what to be. Uh, fourth tenet or fourth trend, redistribution of wealth. The ideology that teaches all human assets should be unclaimed by the government. Uh, that's where we are. Government can be trusted to redistribute these things in an equitable way. Like I said, this Fed coin that's coming, it's coming. It's coming. It's already here, by the way. Like I said, when, when they put money into your bank account uh, during the stimulus period we had over the past year and a half, did they have to go, if, how much money did they put in your bank account, by the way? Some people, thousands. But my son, our son, we you know, don't, still don't have a relationship with him. We heard from our daughters. He, he was sent home because he got COVID. Everybody at his job got COVID. And uh, he went to collect a, a um, and because the, the, they shut down the restaurant where he was working, he went to collect an unemployment check. The unemployment check was way more than he was making. Why should he go back? And, and the money, guess where it, ha where it went? It went straight into his checking account. So, so all these people that were seeing all this stimulus money, I got stimulus money too, by the way, and I didn't send it back. I spent it on, you know, guns probably. I don't know what I did. 
fishing poles or something. Select Fire AK-47. Uh, how'd that money get into your bank? Were they sending armored trucks all over the place to transfer cash? No, it's just somebody typing in numbers, or actually computers. Just numbers to your account, your account, your account, my account. It's just digital assets. That's all it is. We already are operating under a Fed coin policy. It's already here. They can put it into your bank. Guess what? They can take it out of your bank. They can put it into your bank. They can shut down your bank. Did you know that? So I'm selling AK-47 Select Fire, and I'm selling vaults to put bear in your backyard. Did I tell you that? So I'm going to make a lot of money on this. Don't, don't worry. We're going to pay for this building across the street. <laughs> So it's just, I, I, I hate to say like, sound like a fatalist, but apart from the intervention of God, it's just where we're headed. So again, I'm not so much standing up here saying we need to put, put an end to this. I mean, I wish we could. I'm more saying, who are we supposed to be? I, I, don't, I don't have time because Christ is coming for rev, my, my personal life for a revolution. I'm not saying you don't do that. You need to decide before God what you do. But for myself... I have a world that's lost and dying and go to hell, whether, they, whether they're, they're socialist or capitalist or whatever. So I have a responsibility and a call upon my life, and, and, but, but we need to know what we're doing. We need to know where we are so we can make honest decisions based upon the direction that God has given us in the Scriptures. So this redistribution of wealth, government can be trusted to distribute all these things, and whenever this principle has been implemented, the poor have always gotten poorer, and the middle class have gotten poorer, and a very few at the very top have gotten more wealthy than possibly you can imagine. That's, again, we don't have one regime, we don't have two, we don't have ten. It happens every single time. This is what happens. Socialism is a system that does not work because those who are in it do not work. Humans are evil, and it's just the way it goes. All socialism has been failed to, to this date, uh, leading to death and destruction and poverty, and don't throw out there the Scandinavian countries because they're not t truly socialists. They're... Uh, welfare states. Well, so is Israel, by the way. They're not socialists, strict sense. So removal of distribution of wealth, here's another tenant, the removal of authority. Um, has it bothered you, this whole defunding of a police, or you thought it was a good thing? You know, they pay them too much money, right, Doug? Look how wealthy Doug is back there. He's just living off of, we don't care if you got shot a hundred times, Doug, we don't care. It was not worth all the money we gave you over there in Washington, D.C., <laughs> Defunding of police, is that not the nuttiest thing that you've ever heard? But you know what shocked me is, is that when they did defund the police in these cities, that crime went up. I can't believe that. My little socialist heart was broken. Because people are good. And if the cops will quit stomping on their head, which I don't think they should do, I'm not in favor of that, but... Who know, I don't know their situation. I don't know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not there. Who, who am I to say? They have a job to do, and it's not an easy job, and I don't, I don't envy them in any way. But if we're going to defund those who are protecting the laws that we've created, what should we expect? Anarchy. Which, by the way, socialism thrives off of. So we cause the systems to fail, the cities to fail. Here's a socialist. And wherever this principle has been implemented, the removal of authority, the so-called progressives, go and uh, they, their goal is to let the governments fail. That is their goal. Have you noticed where the progressives were in charge? Again, I know 
that you think I'm a, I'm a, th a conspiracy theorist. But have you noticed where the progressives are in charge, like California or Illinois? Anybody move here from Illinois? I got neighbors, yeah. Um, can they not balance books? Are these idiots? We call them idiots, but they're not idiots. They know exactly what they're doing. They're allowing it to fail. Because why? Because when it fails, then it allows the government to step in. Federalization. So instead of an independent state, we have now a federalized state, a federalized city. Federalized state like California, one of the most powerful, both those two are two of the most powerful uh, states in our, in our union. Not a good thing. It's not. Allowing the governments to fail and the cities to fail so they can be federalized. And almost everything you watch today is about the nationalization of stuff. It's the answer, right? Just let the government do it. Elections, the schools, the whole uh, nationalize it and control it by very few people. That's the, that's the objective. It really is. And am I saying that every last person who's in the system believes in the objectives? No, of course not. Most, most I think, are just along for the ride. And because their boss tells them to, to promote these things and support these things, then that's what they're doing. And we have some of them that are jumping ship. But a lot of them, because they like to have a paycheck, I can't blame them for that. They're along for the ride. But the major leaders, yeah, I think they're very much complicit, in my opinion. So where do we go from here? What do we do? Uh, well, several things. Number one, review what the Bible says. That's a good idea. The Bible has a lot to say about our culture and where we are today. I've just given you some snippets because we're going to be looking at globalism next time. Boy, does the Bible have a lot to say about globalism. Review what the Bible says. For instance, the dignity of work. The Bible supports that. If a man will not work, neither let him eat, Paul says to the second Thessalonian letter to the, to the church of Thessalonica. Not willing to work. So if I want to sit around and eat bonbons, smoke a cigar, watch CNN while you work, I shouldn't get to eat, according to the Bible. That's interesting. Interesting, because that's not a tenet of, in fact, that's, that's exactly what socialism teaches, that he should be able to do whatever he wants to because he should be a ward of the state. Uh, those who refuse to work shouldn't eat. Uh, the Bible affirms the, the, the possession of private property, condemns theft and covetousness. Socialism contradicts all these things. So review what the Bible says. Again, if we know what the scriptures say, we'll know who we're supposed to be. We really will. It doesn't leave us out hang, hanging out to dry. The Bible is very old, and yet it's very accurate. It's very timely. Uh, review what the Bible says, number two, refuse to live by lies. Got a lot of things going off today as lies. It's just very interesting. One of the guys, as the Bolshevik Revolution was taking place and gaining steam in Russia uh, back 100 years ago, one of the guys that left and, and defected at that time, I think, into France, uh, he wrote this, this whole tenet of the things that were being believed by the people. He says, so we're, we're against the, 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 the czars of the time. The czars were totalitarian, and they were bad, and they were despots, and they were other things, and so the people were having an uprising against them. He says, we're against them, but the tenets that we're promoting are also false. So we're going to change one system that's bad for another system that by its nature is false and wrong. He says, we can't do that. Refuse to live by lies. Again, what happens when we lie? We, we, as the Bible says, there'll come a day in which we'll call good evil and evil good. That's where we are. We come all full circle. Proverbs 29, 12. I think I put it in here. Yeah. Proverbs 29, 12. 
If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. We had a deacon here in the church uh, years ago, uh, Chris Edwards, and he was a federal agent. He worked for Border Patrol. He got promoted, uh, I think, in 2006. He got promoted to the White House. What a promotion from the border to the White House. And uh, he was, his position was that he was a, um, a liaison between the INS and the Immigration Nationalization Service and the White House. He basically interpreted the stuff that was going on in the INS because he was a seasoned veteran from Border Patrol. And he would interpret the White House. He went in under the last, when, when Bush, the last Bush was elected president, and he stayed all the way through the end of the last Obama uh, term. And uh, so I got to talk to him several times, and we would call him because we have border issues here, and he was always the guy I would consult about different issues. We have kids that are illegal and families that are illegal around here, which is, I'm sure, you, I'm sure I hope you don't know that that's, I hope that's not the first time you heard that. There's illegal people that live around here <laughs> about everywhere you go. And we don't ask for a green card when we, we minister to them or lead them or baptize them or anything else. But anyway, so I'd call him on different issues, and he would come down. They still had property here at the time. And I would talk to him and say, Chris, just tell me what, what's happening up there. He said, Bill, I'll tell you something. He says, it's been interesting. He says, when I got here under Obama, he said, I knew that the whole place was full of sharks. There's nothing but politicians. He's got about as high opinion of politician as pretty much anybody in here does. He says, I knew the whole place was full of sharks. He says, but all the fins were underwater. He says, as soon as Obama got elected president, all the fins came out. He said, and he said in fact... They were in our face over, we do what we want to, and you can't do anything about it. Just exactly like this says. Because Obama, our first progressive president, not our, unfortunately not our last one, um, he, he, well, in my opinion, hated America. Well, that's racist, Pastor Bill. I didn't like his white half either, in case you want to know. So neither, neither, neither color did I like. It wasn't about his color. It was about his opinion about our nation. He hated it. He want, again, he's one, in my opinion... Totally wrong, I'll be totally wrong, you can say whatever you want to do. He's another one of these guys that just wants to see it burn. Just wants to see it go. So anything that was anti-American, anti-nationalist, he, he was in favor of it. Seemed, seemed to me, my observation, I'm not that educated, and I certainly don't get involved in politics, and I certainly get involved in things that are other than politics, to be sure. So, so even when we listen to false stuff, that's a mistake. Don't do it. I've told you many times, stop watching television. It told the Sunday school class this morning, one of the interesting things when we go to Cuba, it was very strange. So I, we live here on the edge of a Hispanic culture, and I thought when we go to Cuba, it's going to be similar to a Hispanic culture. Uh, a lot of poor people, uh, a lot of corruption in government. You know, it's going to be just like Mexico. It was just like Mexico in a lot of sense, because that was true. A lot of corruption, a lot of poor people. The difference, several differences, was number one, every person in Cuba was educated. They had degrees like me undergrad and graduate degrees, living in a room the size of this stage, the whole house, all their family. The, the, there may be only one chair for furniture and a bed over in a corner on the floor for the whole house, 10 people living there. But on the wall was a state-of-the-art television with a closed-circuit connection because that's the way they fed their propaganda, and it had to be plugged in. It was just the rules of the world. So that's the way they cultured them. That's the way they, they kept them closed in. They let them see nothing else. 
and they told them what they wanted to hear. Nothing different than the media we have today. They're not telling you the truth. We all know that. So why are you listening to them? Because I'm supposed to, you know, who told you you're supposed to know that stuff anyway? I want to know what's happening in the globe. Where does it say in the Bible you have to know that stuff? I think it's a waste of your time. I think it's a waste of your brain power, and I think it's a distraction. I think it's a, prop, I think it's a propaganda agent of the enemy. I'm not about socialists. I'm talking about the spiritual entities that are out there. They're using it on you. I, I'm serious. I want you to pray about watching that stuff. I don't think it's worth it. I really don't. I think it's a huge issue for us. We need to turn it off. I think it's, 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 a, it's an avenue through which they funnel to us fear and the propaganda and the situation, and they talk to us, and we continue to listen to it. Well, I'm not in favor of any of it, but you're still listening to it. Why are you doing that? If you're not in favor of it, it's like you're voting for it. Quit voting for it. Again, I'm your pastor. You can do whatever you want to. I'm not coming to check you and see where you're plugged in or not. I'm just giving you my opinion. Refuse to live by lies. I'm not living by lies, but I'm listening to lies. Well, hmm, that doesn't sound like a good program to me. Number three, resolve to be a follower of Jesus, not an admirer of Jesus. Now, this is critical. The world doesn't need one more Christian. It's great that you're a Christian. That's good for you. But what good are you doing to the world? Nothing if you're not a follower of Christ. Well, I'm a follower of Christ. Pastor, I'm in church. So where does it say in the Bible that you're a follower of Christ and you come to church? Jesus says a follower of Jesus is the one who dies to himself, denies himself, and not until then is he able to follow Christ. But if you're not doing those things, then don't tell me you're a follower of Christ because Jesus wrote the definition. Are you going to rewrite Jesus' definition? I don't think you want to do that. So quit calling yourself a follower. Call yourself an admirer. The world doesn't need any of those. It's great for you, but you really don't contribute anything to the world. Oh, well, it changes the way I vote. Okay, great. Super. Nothing in the Bible about what you're supposed to vote for. Everything about how we're supposed to live. So only a follower of Christ actually lives about the tenets of Christ. And they become sacrificially living to the cause of Christ and doing what Christ has called us to do. Those people reach the world. Christians don't. Never have. Only disciples make disciples. And then a fourth thing. I think this is interesting, and this is Dr. Jeremiah, and a recommendation for him, and I think it's a great recommendation. Rethink small groups. Rethink small groups. And he says that, of course, Dr. David Jeremiah is pastor of a very large church in California. And uh, but big, big focus on, on getting people in small groups, because what happens is, is when we only attend services, we're not involved in each other's lives. I don't know what's happened in your life. You know what happens in my life. There's a part of us that says, you know, that way I keep my hands clean. I don't have to worry about you. I wake up in the morning, I can't come up with a single thing to pray for because I don't know anybody with problems. So guess what happens? Same thing happens when I have problems. You don't know what's going on in my life either. Small groups. Small groups are the answer to that. If all we do is attend large meetings and aren't involved in each other's lives, then we're giving in to the enemy. Like I said, I'm a conspiracy realist. I believe there is one, and it's on a spiritual level. I, I really, I'm really not, even though I've been talking to you the whole time about socialism, I just kind of don't care about them at all. I'm not afraid of those guys at all. I'm not intimidated at all by any of them and whatever they are and whoever they are. The ones that I'm very um, soberly, uh, what's the word, respectful of is the spiritual entities that are behind them. Those guys, those guys are not to be messed with. 
Don't take them lightly. They're serious business. They are life and death, spiritual life and death. And I know as a, as a shepherd, if you will, the best way to get to my sheep is to keep them separated. A sheep that's by itself will not live through the night, remember? A sheep that doesn't have involvement with other sheep is not the best sheep, chance a sheep has is to be in a group. If he's all or she's off by herself, dead, exactly where the wolf wants you to be. Again, the, the whole, the, one of the tenets of, of socialism is separation. Get us all mad at each other. Then they can dissolve all our relationships, cut us all off from everybody. They can redefine what we're supposed to be, redefine, reprogram the way we think, and then bring us all together, and we can be controlled. It's, the way, it's interesting how socialism works, very similar to the way the devil works. So back to our original story of Venezuela. Venezuela today is a social and economic wasteland. 96% of the people in Venezuela live below the poverty level. It was the wealthiest country in South America in the 1980s. Now we're all the way down to that. Most of the people earn less than $1 per day. A roll of toilet paper, get this, sells for 2.6 million bolivars apiece. That's their dollar. 2.6 million. Wow. Did Ugo not do a job over there? The nation is barren of essential medicines and medical services. Uh, a little over one-sixth of its population has fled the country. Many, many of them have crossed our southern borders. Like I said, I serve on the, on the board of a ministry that, that uh, we house uh, boys between the ages of 12 and 19 here in Harlingen. And uh, there's a government, federal agency that, that rents our property, and, and we are able to minister to these kids. But uh, a lot of our boys are Venezuelans whose parents have put on a train, sent them across South America or put them on a bus, got them to the border of the center of Panama, got them across the Panama border, paid their ways, uh, told them by hook or crook to make it to the Texas border and swim across. That's how they got here. And they left home three weeks before in Venezuela, and they're all the way here to the border. Mom, we're talking about a 13-year-old boy, 12-year-old, 15-year-old. How bad does it have to be for you to pack up a child that you love because there's nothing there. It's that it has. To, how bad does it have to be where you are for you to put him through the possibilities of what could happen to him by himself through through all that? Pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Not one or two of them do we see. Hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds and hundreds. Venezuela, Colombia, uh, multiple middle middle uh, Central American countries. It's the, it's the same thing. Same system. Marxism did it. Socialism did it. That's what happens. It just is. So we're going to stop right there because, wow. <laughs> I told you it's going to be long. Next time we had to, we had to get all this because there was a lot to talk about because we're going to use this as a jumping off spot for, for more things next time we come together. Questions? I'm certainly no expert on any of the stuff I'm talking about. Like I said, very dependent upon uh, Dr. David Jeremiah and very grateful to him and for his ministry and just his research. And I've done some, some of my own research because I like, kind of like to know what I'm talking about to a certain degree, but I don't mind learning from others. So, questions? It's all good, right? Yes, Tom. What can we do to reverse this? What is going on right now in our country? What can we do as Christians right. to reverse what is going on? Well, like I, like I said, um, uh, it would be very helpful for us to be followers of Jesus and not admirers of Jesus. 
The followers of Jesus is what made this country what it is, not admirers. People who are willing to give their lives for, for the sake of what the Scriptures teach are the people that establish this country. So I, a huge answer is just stop being cultural Christians, admirers of Christ. We don't need any more of those. It's great that you're going to heaven. I'm happy for you. Tell me what good you are where you are. Only followers of Christ make a difference. Not admirers of Jesus. That, that's huge. Uh, like I said, Tom, don't tell anybody, but select Fire AK-47. I've got some. It's in the back here. That's the other thing that we can do. No. I'm not for burying a bus, building a compound. I don't think Jesus has called us to that. Do you take payments? Do I take? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. $1,000 up front, though. Yep. No, Bull, I don't have any ammunition, though. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. That's the next bar just going over there. We'll get ammunition. No, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't feel like God has called me. Obviously, I live in a nation and I live off the blood and sweat and, and sacrifice of many Christians who took up arms so that we could have a free world. So for me to stand up here and say, you should never take up arms and we should never fight and all, I, I'm just saying for me, that's what I'm doing. That's just because I know what God has called me to do. And I know there was plenty of others who were very dedicated, very committed Christians who were, who were formative in our, in our nation and, and formative in our rights that we have here who were very committed Christians, very much sold out to Christ and did what they did because they feel like God called them to do it. And I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm living off their blessings. I'm standing on top of their blood and sweat and sacrifices, and I'm not going to take that lightly in any way. Um, but, but for me personally, I mean, I, I, have, I have a very limited skill set. <laughs> it's not shooting rifles. Um, and I tend to, tend to, I'm going to be sticking to that. And I believe as a whole, that's our goal. Uh, it's not obviously to wipe people out and change cultures. It's, it's to change lives and change hearts. And our culture has been what it is because lives have been literally changed. Hearts have been changed. And so call it capitalism, call it socialism. If our hearts aren't right, it's all going to go straight to the hot place anyway. It just is. We're going to ruin it. Evil people ruin stuff every single time. Mess up the best systems there are. Just the way it is. So I don't, didn't totally answer your question, I don't think, Tom, but there you go. Something else? Yes, Marge? Where does the rapture fit into this timeline? Any day. It really does. Any day. Truly any day. Um, because there is, no, there is no, nothing that has to happen prophetically since Christ since Christ ascent rapture literally to, to heaven since Christ's ascension uh, to heaven there's nothing prophetically that has to happen for Jesus to come back for his church so it could be today there's no prophetic there's no prophetic timeline between when Christ left the earth and us being raptured there's nothing so it's just a matter of him deciding when that is but once that happens then it sets into sets into motion a, a very predicted timeline but whether, when the churches be raptured is no prediction whatsoever no, no set of circumstances at all. Just when he's ready. And, and I'll, as soon as it happens, I'll let you know. I'll be the first one. Call Pastor Bill on the way up. My cell phone doesn't work. Well, if you have to ask, you probably, you know. You wouldn't have been told in the first place. So. Something else? Yes, sir, Wes? Uh, I think the most important thing as a, as a believer... 
I am, is to not look at the party that's running for office. Look at the individual and what he stands for. I agree with that. I'm a, I'm a strong pro-lifer. Yeah. I can't vote for a person that comes and tells me they can kill a baby and I'm, I'm down with that, 100%. But right. I've got relatives that go to church. Well, I'm a Democrat. And I, and, and I, where were you when you were a kid? We were Democrats. No. I'm a brother. I'm a born-again believer. My first decision is as a Christian, Amen. not any political party. Yeah, and that, that's incredibly important. Not as a teamster, not as a unionist, not as a, even though all those things are great, and I'm not saying that they're, you know, they benefited a lot of people. Um, and I was raised in, in industry, culture. My dad was a, my dad was on the other side of the Teamsters about. He was the, one of the hierarchy guys, so he was a guy that you hated. But he fired all you guys, so that's the way. <laughs> he was a, he was, he, was a, a, he was a personnel director, so everybody got hired and fired through his office. So, yes, ma'am. Dr. Jeremiah has a series called Agents of the Apocalypse, uh -huh. and it, it, it answers that question and many, many others. That yeah. Gives you a He's got a lot of good stuff. That was particularly good, and uh, also his series on Daniel is absolutely amazing. Phenomenal, so yeah. I've not heard that one. I've heard the agents, though. I've heard that one, but not the one on Daniel. Daniel is fabulous, too. Just yeah, no doubt. I've not heard anything that came from that man that wasn't good. So, yes, ma'am. So earlier we, we looked at where the scripture around lies, and I really feel like now, especially in the current state, like there's so much spirit of inversion. Yeah, like, totally. Like it's just 24-7. You're right. And it really, it's overwhelming. Even, you know, me that studies four times a week, the scripture, it's mm -hmm. still overwhelming, and I can easily get sucked in it. Is right. there any tips or... Scripture we should look at to try to, you know. Well, uh, like I said, I, I, I think I made my point pretty clear. got my soapbox all dirty. One of the things is to turn the lies off. I just, I, I don't have time for it. So I, I'm at the place in ministry now. I've been 50, 55 years old and 30 years of that in ministry. And I was telling, who was I telling, telling somebody, um, People come and talk to me, they come and tell me stuff, tell me a lot of stuff. Most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of it I don't want to know. And honestly, a lot of it I don't need to know. Sometimes they just tell me stuff because people want to tell you stuff. And I don't have time for stuff I don't need to know. Because my brain, I have, you know, very limited space. And so I try to focus myself on what, what I can know, what I can really help with. And if it's not something that I need to know, then I cut people off. And it not, I'm not trying to hurt anybody. It just kind of, it's kind of like I don't need to be a funnel through which all this stuff just comes because I can't verify what they're telling me. They're telling me their side of something. And so as soon as they tell me their side of something, it's impossible for me now because all I'm going to hear is their side because the other person's not going to come see me. I'm never going to hear their side of the story, and so now I'm unable to make a solid judgment. So I would prefer not to hear anything. Tell me in general what's going on and how I can pray for you and let's let God decide it. But, but again, my tenet is I don't have secondhand, I don't have, a space in my head for secondhand information. 99% of the stuff is, or 100% of the stuff you're hearing on television is secondhand information. You weren't there. They weren't either. And so now they've taken what they think happened, even the stuff that they didn't happen, and they're giving their twist on what didn't happen or what may have happened or what could have happened or what they think happened, and now they're going to give it to you. And so you got time for that? I don't have time for that. 
I don't have the brain, maybe you're way smarter than me, got a big brain, but I don't have the brain capacity for stuff like that. Second information, I mean, talk about, we live in a day in which we have the access to so much information. You go back 30 years, 20 years, almost 100% of us had access to way less. 50 years, almost 100% less, and we were just fine without knowing stuff. We had no access to it. We didn't have a television. We didn't have anybody telling us stuff. I, you know, as a kid, I was just out there eating mud, <laughs> shooting turtles in the pond. My dad would go to work. My mom would go to school. We'd come home. We were fine. We'd go to church on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were just fine. We, I don't think our brains were created. I don't think God intends for us to handle this much information. Because we're getting overloaded. One of, the, one of the huge movements in our culture is anxiety disorder. Have you noticed that? I, there was no such thing as, for me, I, I, maybe there was somebody. I never knew of it. It seems like now it's every other person. Why is that? I think it's an overload of a century overload. They overload you. It's, it's like a computer. I can, I, it works as long as I'm keeping things running correctly and keeping viruses off of it. But as soon as I... That thing starts spinning out of control and starts getting too much information. His claws locks up. So they, they're locking us up, whether we're, they're doing it intentionally or not. I, I think they are. But we are intentionally allowing it. And we don't have the brain space for it. There's too many other things we could be doing with ourselves. You don't need to know that stuff. Because, I mean, you can't verify it anyway. So why are you wasting your brain power on it? I just don't get it. Well, I do get it. But I don't want it. I'm recommending that you stay off of it. I really am. Because, like I said, you can't verify it. So I, I just I can't see a reason for it. I really can't. And they all, you know, put their hand on the Bible and raise, you know, I swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. I don't, still don't believe them. <laughs> I don't trust them. Like I said, one of my worst experiences down here, one of my most... Uh, unexhilarating moments was, like I said, served on this board. I think I've told you all this before. Served on this board here in Harlingen, and we served these, these uh, uh, undocumented uh, teenage boys who were from um, considered refugee countries. And uh, I know how we treat them. I know what the hoops we have to jump through. And we, get a, we have a huge government contract. We literally make millions of dollars off the federal government. They pay us to take care of these boys. Millions. Just un, unbelievable amount of money. And we funnel it all into ministries. If you want to know, I'm not, I don't have any more money. It doesn't come to the board members, even though I'm a board member. We don't get it. We funnel it into ministries. But I know what we have to do in order to house these boys. By the way, we've been housing these boys since the first Bush administration. Nothing new. Scores of them. We get them 90 days or less than 90 days, and we have a capacity of up to 600 and some, in the Past, the past year, we've been running at 600 every single, so every 90 days, we're turning 600 over. Venezuela, El Salvador, uh, Colombia, Honduras, I mean, everywhere these kids are coming from. So I know what we have to do, both in cleanliness, uh, the level of teaching that has to be brought to them, the type of soccer fields, the air-conditioned basketball courts, the, everything, because if they're paying this this much money, they want us to treat these kids this well. I I don't have a problem with that. And then I'll hear our news and hear our, the national, our national news tell us how terrible 
the immigrants are being treated here on the border. Guys, I don't know where you are economically, but you'd be better off possibly if you'd cross the border and then swim across <laughs> with a false document. You'd probably get treated better than you are right now. We're not treating them bad. And yet they want you to believe that we are. So I don't know much about my world. I know that part about my world really well, or well as anybody that could know it. Because, like I said, our paycheck is dependent upon that I know it and that my board members know it. Um, but they're going to tell me what I know really well, the complete opposite of everything that we have to do. And they're going to sell it to my whole nation and tell us how we're treating the people down here. So here's the question. I, don't, I mean, I'm offended because I'm just like, you know, I'll meet you outside and we'll fight over this because we don't, we, don't do, we don't get to do any of the stuff that you're saying. Uh, but the real problem I have with it is, so that's just something that I know well. Most of the stuff I don't know very well. So how can I know that what they're telling me about the other stuff is any different than what they're saying about the stuff that I know? In fact, I'm pretty certain they're going to boldface lie about that. They're probably going to boldface lie about probably everything else. So just my opinion, and it's jaded, I, I will say that, uh, but it's, it's, it's only gotten bolstered over the years, and I've not been, this is not my first year to do it. Like I said, since, since Bush was in first term, so 2002, 2003, I got on the board there. I've been on there ever since. So I've seen administration changes and different things and all that, and that's sort of irrelevant. But, but the, the thing that is relevant is what our media tells us about things. They ain't telling you the truth. If that's any indication, now maybe it's the only time they slipped up and they kept slipping up and they continue to slip up, <laughs> you know. And maybe they just can't seem to get the story right because they don't want to, I think. But I really think they're doing the same thing about everything. Because what, 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 you know, okay, so you got, some, you got some illegal aliens crossing the border and they're coming here illegal and there's a problem with that. I got a problem with that. You got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. I think we need to have secure borders. That's only one issue. I think it's minor compared to some other stuff. So, but they're going to lie that wholeheartedly about it? So what about the bigger stuff? I'm not going to lie wholeheartedly about it. I'm going to tell you what they want you to know, not what you need to know. So don't waste your time. So you lie to me once, that's on you. Lie to me twice, that's on me. So I'll give you another chance. So especially when you lie that big. So anyway, guys, we, goodness gracious, we got to go. Time for bed. Yeah. <laughs> So let, let's pray. Thanks for, your, thanks for your time and for your patience. I appreciate it. God, thank you so much for uh, our time together. Uh, we truly are seeking what the truth is, or we want to know who we're supposed to be. How do, we, how do we operate? Where do we go from here? Who are we supposed to be in this day as believers and what you've called us to be, what you've called us to do? How, how do we help a nation that we love? Is there something we can do? Can, can we change it? God, we're asking that you would change it. We're asking, God, that you would intervene in your mercy. You'd give us good leaders and not leaders who follow lies. God, give us wisdom through this time. Bless our time together. God, I pray you'd be glorified in our lives and the decisions we make as a result of it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.